Verse number 1, 2 Kings 5. Now Naaman, captain of the hosts of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when the letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man descend unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him now come to me, come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel." So Naaman came with horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and thy flesh shall come again to thee and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth and he went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of, his, of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Far par rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel. May I not wash in them and be clean? So he returned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then when he saith unto thee, Wash and be clean? Then he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. I want to stop reading right there, but leave your Bible open. We'll actually look at a few more verses beyond where we just concluded our reading. I want to preach on this thought this morning. I want to look at grace in a desperate place. How many of you would agree that this man Naaman was in a desperate situation? Probably one of the worst diagnoses that anybody could receive was that of leprosy. There was no cure for leprosy. And he was in a desperate place. But yet, can we see? In fact, I bet some of these boys on the front row could get up and find grace in this passage right here. Y'all want to preach this for me this morning? This is so easy. This will be the simplest thing you've ever heard. But can I tell you something? Don't ever get over the grace of God. We better be glad that it's simple. Amen. <laughs> that way you and I could get in on it. Aren't you glad it's not too complicated to realize we are in a mess. We don't deserve anything except hell. But yet God has been good to us and God has changed our life. That is our message. That's why we're rejoicing in here this morning. God has been gracious toward us. We want to bless His name for it this morning. Let's just look at this familiar story and point out some obvious truths and we'll find grace 
even in a place of desperation. Father, we love you. We're thankful for the privilege we have just to open up the Word of God and to look at these truths today. Help us never to get over the grace of God in our life. Help us to remember where we were before we got saved, the mess that we were in, the condemnation that we were in, and help us think about the fact that you came to where we were and you absolutely changed our lives. And Lord, I pray if there's anybody in this building today that their lives have never been changed by grace. Lord, I pray that that would change today. And Lord, I pray that they would experience, not just hear about, not just hear somebody else testify about it, but not just read about it, but Lord, I pray they would experience the grace of God in their life, even this Lord's day. And Father, we ask it for your sake and for your glory. And touch me, I pray, as I preach your word. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, the main character of our text today is a man by the name of Naaman. And here's what we know about him. Verse 1 and verse 2 kind of give us a, a resume, a history, if you will, a, a, a biographical sketch. Verse 1 namely gives us kind of a biographical sketch of this man by the name of Naaman. Uh, we know that he had position. The Bible says that he was a captain. He was a captain of the host of Syria. Syria was a great army. Uh, Syria was the, uh, the enemy of Israel. In fact, uh, just a couple chapters earlier, well, back in 1 Kings chapter 22, they uh, gain a victory over Israel and over Ahab. Probably that is Naaman's claim to fame. That's when he gained his position, gained his rank uh, in that victory right there. He was a captain. That means he had a position. He had a rank. He was a great man, the Bible says in verse number 1. That means he had possessions. In fact, we see that later on in the text as he has possessions to bring to the man of God, hoping to buy his healing, hoping to buy his cleansing. In fact, some have stated that it was uh, uh, in today's economy that it was upward in the millions of dollars is what he brought. This was a man of means. He was a man that had a bank account. This was a man who had uh, enjoyed the privileges of his position, and that is having great wealth. So we know that he had position. We know that he had possessions. The Bible says that he was an honorable man. We know that he had prestige. He had popularity. We know that this was a man that was looked up to. When you heard the name Naaman, uh, it was somebody that you respected greatly. It was somebody that was set up on a pedestal. It was somebody that everybody looked up to and everybody uh, had a good opinion of. He was a very honorable man. He was a mighty man of valor, the Bible says in verse number 1 of our text. That means he had power. Uh, he had position and he had possessions and he had prestige and he had power. He had this position because of his own strength and his own abilities is what it seems like. Uh, seems like his own skill set has uh, vaulted him to the top. Uh, of Syria, uh, to the uh, he's a, he's in the upper class. He's he's hanging out with the king. Uh, he had a very good reputation in the sight of his master, the king of Israel. He had power. He was a man who knew how to fight. He was a man who knew how to strategize. He was a man who knew how to uh, move military uh, 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 operations in the right uh, position and to gain a victory. But the Bible also tells us one negative thing about Naaman and that he was a leper. Isn't that what it says in verse number 1? He had position, no doubt about that. 
He had possessions, no doubt about that. He had prestige, he had power, but he had a problem. And that problem that Naaman had outweighed everything else that was going good in his life. Really, everything that this man had going for him was negated by the thing that he had going against him. As you probably know, leprosy was an awful skin disease. It affected every part of a person's life. Physically, uh, his body was literally dying from the outside in. It was His skin was being eaten alive. It was a nasty disease. It was a, a very nasty uh, issue to have. His skin would have sores on it. There would be places where maybe pus was coming out and it was skin was being eaten alive. In advanced stages of this disease, leprosy would take off extremities and members, maybe fingers and then eventually arms, maybe a nose, maybe ears, anywhere that was covered in skin. It was subject to just fall off. You might be wake up one day and have one less finger or wake up one day and toes have fallen off his body. This was a nasty, awful disease. Now Naaman probably was not at that point yet. Maybe it was at a point where he could hide it, where he could cover it up, where not many people knew about it necessarily. It wasn't well known in the community. And he thought that he had uh, it all covered up and maybe it would go away. And maybe, But yet he'd wake up one day and it would be uh, just a little bit worse than it was the day before. He'd wake up another morning and it had spread. Maybe a new spot had come on his skin somewhere. And this man is in absolutely trouble. He knew that this problem that he had, it threatened every other part of his life. He wasn't going to be able to be the captain of the host of Syria any longer as this disease took over his body. His possessions and wealth could not help him. He would not be able to enjoy them. He would not be able to spend all that money as that skin disease began to sweep over his body. The popularity and the prestige and the respect that he once enjoyed it was all getting ready to go out the window because do you know what happened to lepers? They were exiled. They were quarantined. They were separated from the community. Why? Because that disease was so contagious that it would spread and he knew at some point he would be separated from his family separated from the very people that he loved he'd have to live outside of the city he'd have to live isolated from everybody else and he would be cut off from the very people that he shared his life with it was going to affect him physically it was affecting him emotionally I'm sure it was affecting him mentally it was going to affect him with his family as he was set to be an outcast at any point of his life. And of course, you know what a great picture of sin leprosy is in the Bible. Because it doesn't matter what you have going for you in your life. It don't matter how smart you are. It don't matter how much money you got. It don't matter how, mu- matter how many friends you got. It don't matter what position you hold in this life. It don't matter what your status is. It don't matter what your resume is. If you have not been cleansed of sin, if you have not been healed, if you have not been saved, all that is only temporary, my friend. It is getting ready to go out the window. It's getting ready to go away. It's getting ready to leave. Because the only thing that matters in this life is have you been saved by the grace of God. 
Because your life is headed towards sure destruction because sin will literally take over your identity just as it did. In fact, I'm, I'm amazed at how the Bible words this. It doesn't just say that Naaman had leprosy. Your Bible says at the end of verse number 1 that Naaman was a leper. That was his identity. It literally was going to overtake everything else on his resume. Everything else about his life was going to be... Uh, it was going to be, he used to be this and he used to be that and he would be known as Naaman, not the captain, Naaman, not Naaman the wealthy, not Naaman the aristocrat, not Naaman all these things. He would be Naaman the leper for the rest of his life. However long that may be. And can I tell you, that's exactly what sin does. Listen, I'll tell you, if you've never been saved by the grace of God, listen, others may see you as, a, as, a, as your position. Others may see you as your bank account number. Others may see you as this or that. You may have the title mom. You may have the title dad. You may have the title friend. You may have some great titles this world holds in high esteem. But can I tell you, underneath all of that, God knows that you are just a sinner. And that is your identity. That is all you are until you get saved by the grace of God. It overtakes your identity. He was a leper. There was no cure for leprosy. There was no ointment. There was no salve. There was no pill. There was no potion. Leprosy was a death sentence. Naaman literally had nowhere to turn. He's in a desperate situation. Everything in his life is being threatened by this one thing. Man, he had all the connections in the world, didn't he? He knew everybody. The uppity-ups and the... And the I mean, he, he hobnobbed and rubbed shoulders with the top of everything. He had connections, but his connections could not help him. He had all the money in the world. He could buy whatever he wanted. He could snap his fingers and have everything that life could afford a man. But all of the money in the world could not buy what did not exist. That was a cure. And in his most desperate condition and his most horrible of circumstances, isn't it amazing? This is so amazing to me that in the midst of all this, we see God moves in his life and this man gets a healing. And I couldn't help as I read that thought, man, what a picture, what a display of the good grace of God. This man wasn't thinking about God. He didn't know the God of Israel. He wasn't thinking about God. But it isn't amazing that God was thinking about him. He didn't know where God was. He didn't know who God was. But God knew where Naaman was. And God knew who Naaman was. And you say, what is that? That's the good grace of God. When you weren't thinking about him, he was thinking about you. And when you couldn't get to where he was, God came to where you were. Amen. Grace is any time God makes a move in your direction. I love that. I heard an even better definition as pastor. I was talking to Brother Mark Stroud this past week. We ate lunch together, and I was he asked me what I've been preaching. I said, Well, I've been preaching about grace. And I told him, I heard somebody say years ago, and I don't even remember who I said, he said, God, anytime God makes a move in our direction, that's grace. And he said, I got one better for you than that. He said, Anytime God's thinking about us, that's grace. Amen. And you may, you may not even know that God's making a move. You may not be able to see God making a move in your direction. But just to know that I am on His mind and I am on His heart and God knew where this man Naaman was. Even Jesus, Jesus said something about Naaman in the New Testament. Did you know that? It ticked all them Pharisees off. 
But here's what, here's what Jesus said, talking about the grace of God. Here's what Jesus said in Luke 4, 27. He said, and many lepers were in Israel in the time of, a, of a Lysias. That's Elisha, the prophet. And none of them was cleansed, save Naaman the Syrian. How about that? You know what that tells us? God, there was a bunch of lepers all over Israel, but God came to one leper who didn't even live in Israel. He was an old Gentile dog. He was an enemy of Israel. He was on the outside of Israel. He was not a part of the covenant people of God. He was not a part of the chosen people of God. He was an old Gentile dog. But here comes God and He healed one leper out of all of them in the whole wide world. Why would God heal one old Gentile and leave the rest of them alone? I don't know. You'll have to ask God when, he gets, when you get to heaven one day. But all I know is that smells like grace to me. Amen. That sounds like the good grace of God. One man got it and it was Naaman. And I'm going to tell you what I thank God that he saved me. I'm glad I'm saved. I don't know why others reject it. I don't know why others turn up their nose at it. But all I know is that God has had grace on this old boy and he healed the thing that this world could not help me with. They couldn't touch it, but God took care of all of it. Amen. And that's the good grace of God. You didn't have anywhere to turn. You didn't have anybody that could help you. Listen, pills wouldn't help you, and the bottle wouldn't help you, and relationships wouldn't help you. There wasn't nothing. This world couldn't help you. All the money in the world couldn't satisfy you. But here comes God with His good grace, and He washed you in His red blood and made you whiter than snow. And God gave you grace in your most desperate of hours. Thank God for His grace. How do you see grace in His life? This is just introduction. Long introduction, short message. This was going to be the message, but the third point got real big. So the third, third point's the message. But let me, get, let me show you how, you find, how we find grace. There was grace. There was grace in the life that He was given. In the life that He was given. I, I noticed this. This is just introduction now. Hold on. There was grace in the life that he was given. Verse number one. This is amazing to me. Look, look, at, look, at, uh, look at verse one. It says, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable because by him, now note this, the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. Now, what shot Naaman up the ranks of Syria? It was this victory that he wrought, and it was over Israel even. But who gave him that victory? It was God. Now notice the next part. There's a, there's a was it a colon? Yeah. The Lord had given deliverance unto Syria, he was also a mighty man in valor. Now that's almost like an afterthought. It's almost like uh, he was a mighty man. He had might, he had power, he had wisdom in the art of military strategy. He had all these things. But that's not why he won the battle. That's not why he was where he was at. He was where he was at, not because he was a mighty man of valor, because in my mind, it ought to read like this. It could read like this, that he was a great man with his master and honorable because, because 
He was also a mighty man of valor. He was a mighty man of valor. That's what logic would say. That's what human wisdom would say. That's what human perspective would say. He is where he is because he did what he did. He made it because he worked harder than everybody else. He outsmarted, he outworked, he outfought, and he climbed his way to the top of the ladder by his own wit and by his own strength and by his own skill. But that ain't what that verse says right there. That verse says right there that the only reason he was where he was is because God put him there and God gave him there. That's before he even knew who God was. He didn't know he was. Can I tell you, even even for lost people, listen, all the things of life that pertain unto life, listen, it comes from the good hand of a gracious God. Listen, the fact that God let you wake up this morning and see the, another sunrise. Listen, if you had a bed to sleep in, if you had a roof over your head, wherever you've been able to, uh, allowed to accomplish in this life, the money that you have, the position that you have, the family that you have, that is the grace of God. And listen, you need to quit taking credit for what God's done. You may be smart. You may have money. You may have worked hard. But that's beside the point. That's beside the point. Amen. God has been good to you. God has been gracious to you. Amen. You can't take credit for any of it. God did it. Amen. God did it. There's grace in the life that he was given. I see grace not only there, but I see grace in the light that he was given. You see, during this conquest of Israel, they just happened to bring back a little Jewish girl. They brought her back captive from Israel. And she lived there in the home and she became a servant to Naaman's wife. I doubt Naaman even knew this girl. He probably never talked to her. She was just a little girl that, you know, cleaned up here and did things here and ran errands there. And she cleaned the floors and maybe cooked a meal. And she, just, she was just a servant. She was a slave. She was a servant. Just a spoil of war. And that's all that she was. But what's amazing here is that this little girl had something that Naaman did not have. And that was some light. See, this little girl had been brought up in Israel and from a small child she heard stories about Jehovah God. And she knew about the prophet Elisha and the miracles and the things that God did by his hand. And she got wind one day that old Naaman, her master's husband, her mistress's husband, she, he was a leper. And you know what that little girl said? She said, I tell you what, I know exactly what. There's a prophet in Israel, in Samaria. He's over there and he could heal him. Man, he's got the power of God. And when she opened her mouth and began to talk about Jehovah God in the midst of all the darkness, in the midst of all the pagan idolatry, that oh, that's all at home knew. There was a little light that opened up, and just a little light pierced the darkness in there. By the way, what a good example this little young lady is. Listen, you might not be in the best of circumstances. You might not be where you want to be. You may not have everything you want to have, but shine where God has 
has put you, whatever place He's put you in, let your little light shine. Amen. This little light of mine. That's what this girl was singing. She learned that in Sabbath school. Y'all think that? I'm reading between the lines a little bit. Y'all give me some grace, can't you? All right. She learned Sabbath school. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Amen. And that's exactly what she was doing. She was away from her mom and daddy. She was away from everything she knew. She was away from everything familiar. But she said, I'm going to shine in this dark place. Let me tell you about one that can heal you and one that can help you. And good gracious, man, we know the answer. We know the solution. His name is Jesus. And God help us to shine the light in this dark world. Somebody needs the light that you have. Somebody shined it on you one day. We ought to shine it on somebody else. And some light. You know what that is? (laughs) That's the grace of God. God could have left this man in darkness. But He allowed, even before, maybe before there was the problem was bad, maybe before He had a problem, God already put the solution in His house. You say, what is that? That's just grace. That's grace. There's a grace in the life that he was given. There's grace in the light that he was given. That led him to his healing. And there's grace in the lesson that he was given. And this is what I really want to focus on because Naaman just did not just learn about the prophet. He didn't just learn about Elisha. Naaman, at the end of this story, he knows the God of Israel. Naaman started contacting the palace. He started gathering up all of his money and his servants to buy this miracle. He said, all right, there's a, there's a, there's a miracle worker in, in Samaria over in Israel. I'm going to get all my money. I'm going to get all my people. I'm going to get all together. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to contact the king, and he's going to contact the king over there. We're gonna, I'm going to pull some strings. I'm going to make some connections, and I'm going to get my money, and I'm going to get my limousines and my, and my caravan, my entourage, and we're going to head into Samaria, and I'm going to get this miracle worker to heal me. But you know what that lets us know about Naaman? He didn't really know anything about how grace worked. But he learned about it. And that's what I want to focus on just for a minute before we go home. Number one, Naaman learned about the source of grace. Naaman learned about the source of grace. You see, when Naaman uh, got wind, got, got this light in his life, got this information about the prophet Elisha, what does he do? He goes to the king. Verse 5, the king of Syria said, Go to go. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. He gets this king to write a letter to this other king. And, and he immediately went to the king of Israel with his royal recommendation. Look at who I am. Look at the credentials that I have. Look at the resume that I have accumulated. I, I am worthy of this miracle. I, I am worthy of this. And Naaman used his position to get things accomplished. And where did he go? First of all, he went to the government because that's how he was used to getting things done. He was familiar with lobbying and familiar with pulling strings. And if you're going to get something done, you got to go to the king. He's the top. You got to go to the government. That's where everything takes place. And he took advantage of the connections that he had to get what he wanted. But when this word came to the king of Israel, I love what the king of Israel said in verse number 7. He rent his clothes. Look what he said. He said, am I God? 
to kill and to make alive, that this man does sin unto me to recover a man of his leprosy. He said, am I God? You know what he said? I can't help him. Man, that's a great admission for government to make right there. Amen. Government cannot... Listen, you know what government just said right here? Government just said, I'm not God. And I want you to know government is not God. There is no legislative solution to the problem of sin. It cannot be eradicated with some bill from the Senate and some bill from the House. It cannot be eradicated or dealt with by some executive order signed by a president, though they may try. It's amazing how this world tries to solve the problem of sin. It's amazing the places they go to try to solve the problem of sin. Man, if they just had more money, if they just had more jobs, if they just had more opportunities and then the sin would take care of itself. If these young people just had this or just had that, and then everything would be fine. And we find out the more the government does, the worse this world gets. Can I get a witness right there? You cannot legislate healing of sin. You cannot legislate morality. It does not happen. You cannot go to the wrong source to find grace for the sin-sick soul. Can I point you to the only one that can solve the problem of sin and His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. Government's not God. You can't go to the government and find a solution for this. That's what Naaman was used to, wasn't it? He was used to government solutions. He was used to military solutions. He was used to things being done in boardrooms and things being done in strategy rooms and things being done in throne rooms. And That's where problems get solved. But what he found out is that there are problems that are beyond what the, what the halls of Congress and the, hall, and the throne rooms of this world. There's not a king on earth. There's not a president. There's not a senator. Uh, there is not any kind of elected official or any kind of appointed person on this planet that can solve the greatest problem we have and that is the problem of sin. There's only one source of real grace, saving grace, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. For there is one God and one mediator between man and God. It's the man, Christ Jesus. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name given among men under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. There's only one that can save you and if you're going to get help, if you're going to get healing, you'll have to go to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one source. And that's what Naaman learned. And you can't go to government. They're not going to help you out with about anything. Somebody say amen. Much less salvation. I think Ronald Reagan is the one that said the most scary words you'll ever hear is, uh, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Amen. Oh, Mr. Reagan had it right. Amen. Government ain't going to help. This world can't. Isn't it amazing all the solutions they try? This world tries everything. Isn't it amazing how all the places, man, there's programs and there's 10 steps and 12 steps and 25 steps and there's therapies and there's pills and there's potions and there's everything this world tries to go. There's only one source of grace. You got to go to God. You got to go to God. Name and learn the source of grace. Number two, name and learn something about the securing of grace. See, Naaman had to learn, first of all, where to go to get grace. Where do you get it? Then the next lesson he had to learn about grace is how do you get it? Not only where do you go to get it, but how do you get it? Can you imagine the scene? Look at your Bible. Look at your Bible. This is exciting. Look at verse number 9. Can you imagine this scene right here? Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot. All right, let me just, can, can I modernize that just a little bit? 
All right? He pulled up and he had his entourage. He had his limousine. Here he comes, old celebrity Naaman. And he pulls up in that big, long, stretch, Lincoln Navigator stretch limousine. There it is. He pulls up. Maybe a couple military vehicles. Maybe all, all these horses, all these servants, all his chariot. I mean, here he is in pomp and in all of his glory. This is the captain. This is the, this is the top dog. I mean, you got the king of Syria and then you got Mr. Naaman right here. Captain Naaman, five-star general. Here he is. And he pulls up with his caravan and he pulls up with his cash. And he pulls up with his cachet. And there he is all decked out right there. Don't you know who I am? Don't you realize what I've done? Don't you understand the position that I hold? And he walks up to the door of Elisha's little house. Now, when I think of Elisha's house, I'm not thinking of some big mansion. I don't know what y'all are thinking of. I'm not thinking, he ain't living like where Benny Hinn lives and all, you know, Joel Osteen and all this stuff. I'm not thinking of that. When I think of, uh, you know, when I think of uh, Elisha's house, I think of some little modest, you know, place out in the woods somewhere of Samaria, you know, he's out there just some little house and he walks up and he thinks, man, I can't believe, what in the world am I doing out here in the middle of the sticks? What in the world's going on here? And he walks up to the door of Elisha and he knocks on the door like that and he waits and he waits he's thinking what in the world's going on and finally somebody opens the door and it ain't Elisha it's his little servant Gehazi little slimy Gehazi yeah, we'll, maybe we'll talk about him one day but because there's, there's a good lesson at the end of this chapter but here comes Gehazi and said are you Elisha? No I'm not Elisha I'm just his little servant that's all I am Maybe he's hunchback. I've watched too many movies, you know, he's a little hunchback guy. I don't know. Hollywood's messed me up, y'all. I'm just a victim of my culture, I guess. But he uh, comes, are you, are you Elisha? No, I'm, I'm just a servant. His servant? He wouldn't even answer the door for me. Well, you tell Elisha, I'm here to see him. I got money. I got anything he wants. I'm here to get me a miracle. Don't, don't you know who I am? I was told that he was prepared for my arrival. He's been told. He's been warned. In fact, I've been invited by Elisha to be here. I got an invitation to be here. Don't you know who I am? Gazel okay, so said, yeah, I know who you are. In fact, he gave me a message for you. He told me what to tell you. Isn't he going to come and talk to me? No, he, he sent his message by me. He says, well, what do, I, what do I need to know? Gehazi says, here's what he said. You see that little muddy river back here? See that little nasty? It's a nasty bunch of mold and just a bunch of, bunch of little dirty, I mean, you know, just trashy. Just na- yeah, you see that, that little creek right back in there? Yeah. He said, yeah, you need to go take a bath in that right there. You need to go jump in there and you need to dip seven times in that creek. What does the Bible say? Man, when he heard that right there, verse number 11, Naaman was what? Wroth. That means he was mad. In fact, at the end of verse number 12, it says that he went away in a rage. He said, I cannot believe. What? Doesn't he know who I... Doesn't he know... Oh, and he begins to talk about everything about himself and all of all these things. And what in the world? Tell me to dip in that nasty little muddy river over there. What in the world is he thinking? And he gets mad. Ludicrous. Ridiculous. Preposterous. Jordan River. 
What in the world? Who does he think he is? Doesn't even know who I am. Verse number 11 tells us the reason Naaman got mad is because he had all... The, how many of y'all still... Everybody still okay? We're just doing a little storytelling this morning. I'm having fun. The reason he got mad is because Naaman had all this... He had all this planned out in his mind. He said, I'm going to pull up. They're going to roll out the red carpet. Oh, Naaman, we're so glad you're here. It is our honor to be able to help somebody like you. And there's going to be a crowd. And no doubt the paparazzi will be there. No doubt people have heard he's in town. There will be people all over us, spectators. Naaman's here. Man, look, he's here to talk to the prophet. What an amazing thing. And all these people will be gathered around and Elisha's going to come out in some nice big prophetical robe, you know. And he's going to come out there and he's going to look at Naaman and he's going to put his hand up like that. Somebody's been watching TBN, hasn't they? I tell you, Naaman's been watching Penny Hen because he thought he was going to be on a stage somewhere with everybody looking at him and all kind of fame and popularity and the papers are going to be writing about this and everybody's going to know about it and there he is and Elisha's going to come out and he's going to put his hand on the spot where the leprosy is and he's going to do some kind of big religious show and call on the name of his God and he's going to heal the place and it's going to be some big spectacular miracle that'll make everybody famous and that's like exactly the opposite of everything that happened wasn't nobody there but the crickets and the bugs out there and some little weird-looking servant said, yeah, you can take a bath in that, uh, in that river out there. What? I thought. That's what he said, isn't it? That's a good place. My dad would say something like this. Son, that's what you get for thinking. That's where, that's where I would get that. Every time I read, well, I, Daddy, I, I thought, well, listen, hey, I'll do the thinking. That's what usually what I hear. That's what you get for thinking. <laughs> How many of you know when it comes to the grace of God, you can't come with your preconceived notions and ideas? You don't come on your own terms. You don't get to decide how this thing works. You don't get to decide how this thing operates. You come humbly. You come lowly. You get down and realize, listen, I am not worthy of anything. And I am the one that's dirty. That river's not dirty. I'm the one that's dirty. And that's how you get grace. God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the, to the humble. He gives grace... To the lowly. Grace doesn't work like you think it works. You can't buy it. All that money. He might have brought millions of dollars. I read behind some commentators that said it's upward of two million dollars. Of course, those are outdated commentaries if you put it in today's economy and this Biden administration. We're probably talking about billions of dollars right here, probably. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. Grace doesn't even take a glimpse at your resume. Or what you've done. And by the way, you ought to be thankful for that. Because you ain't near as good as you think you are. You ain't near as awesome as you think. Amen. If we really get a glimpse of ourselves like God sees us, we'd realize we're just a dirty old sinner. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. Old leper's rags. That's all they are you got to get humble. you got to realize how dirty you are. And you must put your faith in the Word of God. You must obey it. If He says confess, you must confess. He says believe, you must believe. And if He says dip in the water seven times, you better put yourself in muddy river Jordan and dip. Start dipping. I'm not talking about Copenhagen either, all right? You don't get excited. 
He said, what about these other rivers? There's the Arbana and the Farpar and all that. I've never even heard of these rivers, but this guy, he said, man, all the rivers. Hey, this guy, he really didn't like Israel very. He said, all the rivers in Israel are nasty. So what about, what if we go over to Damascus? Maybe we can do this little thing over here in Damascus. No, Naaman, you're not too good to get in that river. You're not near as good as you think you are. And there may have been cleaner rivers. I'm not disputing. There might have been cleaner rivers, right? There might have been a better, there might have been a, a better way, so to speak. There's only one problem with those other rivers. It might have been clean. It might have been pretty. It might have been beautiful. It might have been flowing with rocks and so, so beautiful there. There's only one problem. God don't show up at those rivers. There's only one problem with the Farpar and the Abana and all that. God don't show up at those rivers. Amen. I tell you what, I've out preached on the church. There's a good picture of the church right there. Everybody wants to point out what's wrong with the church. Man, that's nasty and that's filthy. Man, aren't there better organizations? Aren't there? Yeah, there might be some places that aren't as messy. There might be some places that aren't as messed up, so to speak, from a certain perspective. But can I tell you, there's only one place where God shows up. There's only one place where God... Listen, don't worry about what's clean. Don't worry about what's dirty. Go where God shows up. Elisha said, don't snub your nose at that river. Let me tell you what God did at that river. He's part of that river. He's brought miraculous things through that river. Let me tell you what God did. God took my master up at that river. God sent me a mantle down at, my, at that river. Man, God let me smite that thing and the water's part. God shows up at that river right there. Hey, listen, you better look for where God shows up at. Amen. I'm not against other clubs. I'm not against other other secular organizations. And I'm not against necessarily therapy. And I'm not necessarily against uh, uh, some medicine. And I'm not necessarily against all these other things. But let me tell you something. There's only one place where God shows up. You better get in right there. You ain't going to get any help. Yeah, man. Yeah, man, that's right. Man, that's good. Good preaching, brother Chris. Yeah, man. He almost walked away. How many times have we seen people walk away? He almost missed out on a mirror. Missed out. Why? Pride. I tell you, pride will rob you of everything holy. Thank God. There's some grace in them servants right there. Some servants said, uh, if, if Elisha would have asked you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? And see, listen, if salvation could be bought and paid for, you would have the millionaires of society lined up to get it. If you had to do some great thing, if you had to accomplish some great feat to be saved, you'd have people line, we'd have people lined up. They do. They, they line up. They want to they give something. They want to buy something. They want to they earn something. Why? Because that is how you can get saved and keep your ego at the same time. Get saved. You understand what I'm saying? And keep your ego at the same time. Well, that ain't the way this thing works. You preach, hey, you give this money, you buy this, you peddle this, you pass out that, you be here, you do that. Listen, you'll have them lined up. The largest church in the world, the Roman Catholic Church. I've been to Rome, Italy. I've seen the huge, the huge structures that that church has built. And their whole system is predicated upon you have to do some great thing to get salvation. The only thing that's bigger than their church in Rome is across the street around the corner is their bank. It's bigger than the church. It's huge. It takes up blocks. I'm talking about multiple blocks that way, multiple blocks that way. It's one of the biggest buildings I've ever seen in my life. The Vatican Bank. 
You know why? Because they've predicated their whole religion on do some great thing. And people have lined up for centuries to do some great thing. But when you tell people, you don't have to do some great thing. You just come humbly. You admit you're a sinner. You admit you can't help yourself. And you rely on the good grace of God to save you. People people don't line up for that. You know why? Because you can't keep your ego and do that. Grace only comes when you get down and you get humble. When you get desperate. You got to be desperate. He was desperate. And God was gracious. And that's how it works, ain't it? Let me give you this last one. Miss Maddie, you can come around. I'm done. There's the source of grace, the securing of grace. And then I want to say something that Naaman learned a lesson about the, the strength of grace. The strength of grace. See, and I'm not going to go through all of it, but verse 14, verses 14 through 19, Naaman found out what grace can do. He found out the power of grace, a testimony of grace. Of course, he gave him healing in verse number 14. In fact, the Bible says in verse 14 that his flesh came again like into the flesh of a little child. Listen, I'm going to tell you, he didn't have that kind of soft skin before he got sick. He had the skin of a military man, a mighty man of valor, a mighty man soldier. And now, man, his skin is like a little baby. Listen, that ain't Johnson and Johnson. He can't do that. I mean, that's... That's that's amazing. That's a miracle. You know why? That is something that only God could do. Grace. You know what grace can do? Grace can not only fix your problem. Grace can make you better than you've ever been. It makes all things new. Isn't that right? When you get saved, you're a newborn babe in Christ. You must be born again. And that's where he was. Grace made him love what he used to hate. I love this. I don't have time to read all this, but... Man, this is so great. He's so excited. He goes to the man of God in verse number 15. He tries to pay for all of it. He's like, let me give you all this money. And and Elisha's like, no. Why doesn't Elisha take the money? Because it's by grace. You can't buy the grace of God. It would have broke the type, wouldn't it? It broke the, the picture that God is painting for us in the Old Testament of gracious salvation. No, I'm not going to take it. He urged him. Verse 16, he said, I, he refused. Verse 17, he said, well, let me do this. He said, I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules burden of earth. <laughs> For thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto the gods. He said, let me, he said, this is amazing to me. Because the man who just a little bit ago was all worried about, ooh, that dirty river. He said, uh, would you mind if I took some dirt from here? He said, yeah, I just want to, I just want to get, uh, I want to get two big jars of dirt. And uh, I want to take it with me so I can be reminded of what God did right here. You know what that grace just did? It made him love what he used to hate. It made him exalt what he used to despise. What he thought, ooh, I can't get in that. Now he says, ooh, I like that. Let me have some of it. Amen. That's what grace will do for you. That's the strength of grace. That's the power of grace. Only grace can change somebody. It wasn't just his outside that got changed. His inside got changed. 
And now he said, the end of verse 16 and 17, he says, let me tell you what else I got to deal with now that I'm saved by grace. He said, man, I'm going to have to deal with this idolatry. You know, I live in, I live in Syria. We worship Ramon, or the Rimon, or however you say that. We worship the pagan. You know, I got to go to church with my, king, you know, my master, the king, and you know, he, he actually kind of leans on me and holds on my hand while we're in church. You know? He said, I'm going to have to go. He said, but I promise you, Elisha, he said, I'm not going to like it anymore. And in my heart, I'm going to worship the true and living God. There's only one God in Israel. You say, how in the world did he figure all that out? That's the grace of God in his life. He said, I'm repenting of my idolatry, and I want to worship the true and the living God. You know what Elisha said? Verse 19, he said, go in peace. Peace. I'll tell you what grace will do. Grace will give you peace. Grace will give you peace. Grace will (laughs) give you the ability to put your head on your pillow at night. He didn't just feel like a baby. He slept like a baby. Amen. Can you imagine all the sleepless nights tossing and turning? Because somebody's going to find out. Somebody's going to know. This is all going to get I'm going to lose everything. I'm losing it all. And he's losing his mind. And he got so desperate and God gave him a little bit of light and he went with it and God gave him more and God gave him more and he finally, man, humbled himself and God was gracious to him. And now the prophet says, Go home in peace. Thinking, peace? That's something I ain't had in a long time. But that's what grace will do for you, amen. Man, I'm glad you can find grace in a desperate place. You say, I don't know if I... You got to get desperate first. You got to get desperate first. You got to realize you're, de- you're in a desperate place. Only the grace of God can do it. There's no program. There's no commitment. There's no effort. There's no payment. There's no money. can do what grace can do. And it's only when you realize how desperate your situation is and you humble yourself, God can give grace to you.